Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedikin. Let's first start out the show by thanking our lovely Patreon contributors. Okay. Okay. This week we had Michael, Tammy, Karina, Mark, Caroline, Kristen, oh sorry, Kirsten, Vanessa, Dee Dee, Sarah, Amanda, John, Sherry. We missed you last week, Sherry. Right. Hi, Sherry. I don't know how that happened. Sherry, thank you very much. We had Nikki, Calliope, and Janet. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys so much. They donated over at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. To get a lot of bonus content. We have a ton of bonus content over there. And also, we're going to be uploading a bunch of stuff before the holidays, like before Christmas. Right. So don't worry. Also, a lot of people ask this question. Once you join, you get all the back. Uh, catalog of bonus content. Right. And there's like a hundred episodes. At least a hundred so episodes. So the minute you donate, you do get access to all of that content. Right. So for those who are always like, I'm running out of episodes. If you have some money to spare, you can get more stuff. Yeah. And it's good. Absolutely. Okay, Desi. So much like how we've done multiple cases of 1920s murderesses, this is another case of a bad boy doctor who was accused of murdering his wife. Ooh. Now, this story was particularly sensational when it was happening in the in 1950s Los Angeles. Like I what I mean by that, like this was a sensational trial. Yeah. It was splashed across all the newspapers every day and it was sort of a crime that was lost to history. Like it is not a lot of people don't know about it. They're really, I didn't even see it. Like I saw like one podcast had been done about it. Uh-huh. Uh, so on July 18th, 1959, at around 11.40 p.m., police received a distressed call from 19-year-old Marie Ann Lindholm, a Swedish exchange student who had been working as a housekeeper for Dr. and Mrs. Bernard Finch. Bernard Finch was a wealthy, well-known doctor in Los Angeles. His father was a wealthy, retired optometrist, and he lived next door to Bernard and Barbara. Barbara Jean Finch was a housewife and a socialite. The pair were regulars at the South Hills Country Club, and they often hung out with the rich and famous who also attended this. It was like a tennis club. So yeah, they're very like fancy, Uh fancy doctor and his wife. They're hanging in the upper echelons. Absolutely. Marie, the housekeeper, spoke into the phone, quote, Dr. Finch is killing his wife, she told the police. According to Marie, 33-year-old Barbara Finch returned to her large, expensive home in the hills of West Covina after a tennis game on the night of July 18th at 1130. Marie was home with Barbara's 11-year-old daughter, Patty, and her 6-year-old son, Raymond. She heard Barbara park her car in the garage, followed shortly after by screams for help. When Marie ran into the garage and flicked on the light, she saw Barbara lying on the floor bleeding from a head wound. Just then, somebody grabbed Marie's head. It was Dr. Bernard Finch. He then slammed Marie's head three times into the wall, hard enough to break the plaster and knock her unconscious. When Marie came to, Dr. Finch was standing over her with a gun. He ordered both her and his wife into the car. Barbara escaped and ran out of the garage and down the hillside. Bernard chased after her and shot her in the back of her right shoulder. The bullet from the thirty-eight caliber revolver exited through her heart and killed her. But when police arrived on the scene, Dr. Finch was already gone. Police saw the body of Barbara Finch lying face up less than 100 feet from the house. 
Along with the bullet wound, she had wounds to the head indicating that a beating took place before she was shot. The coroner would later theorize that the two skull fractures were caused by being struck with the gun. The gun was missing from the scene. A brown leather attache case belonging to Bernard Finch was found, though, however. In the garage, Barbara's car was still running and the radio was blasting. The first lead as to Barbara Finch's Oh, sorry. The first lead as to Bernard Finch's whereabouts came when police got a report of a vehicle that had been stolen down the street from the Finch home. The vehicle, a Ford station wagon, was located in La Puente. As police were searching the car, a man in La Puente reported that his Cadillac had just been stolen. At 5 a.m., the Cadillac, believed to have had Bernard driving in it, was spotted driving west on the freeway. A high-speed pursuit broke out, and this was a high-speed pursuit. They Ooh. were going up to 120 miles per hour. Damn. I and guess it, it's late at, in the early in the morning or whatever. It's 5 a.m. when this is right. happening. It's still dark out. There's no other cars on the freeway right. at this time. So this, they're just hauling ass. And this is also Los Angeles 1959. Traffic was not yeah. what it is today. Uh, and there, the, the police officers reported that they're... This was like, there was just them on the freeway. I also, at this time, want to talk about my source, my main source for this episode, which is a book, a very thorough book called A Murder in West Covina, Chronicle of the Finch Tregoff Case. And that is a book written by James L. Jones, MD. He's a doctor with a foreword by Marie Ann Lindholm, who is the housekeeper. Okay. This book is very detailed. It has several interviews from like everyone who like all the detectives who worked this case as well as um, other people involved in the case. So uh, if if you want more details about it, I, I recommend a murder in West Covina. Um, but yeah, that's that's where I got a lot of a lot of really interesting details from. Um, I also obviously, as I usually do, read a lot of really old newspapers and there was a lot of information on the trial. In the old newspapers. Okay, back to the story. So there's this high-speed chase happening. And police at this point had radioed for other officers to set up a roadblock downtown. And the three cars are coming. Uh, they're, they're driving westbound. They're coming from the east, headed towards downtown Los Angeles. And as the three cars continued westbound, a little old lady drove into the police chase <laughs> and inadvertently ran into two police cars driving them off the road. This is like a Mr. Magoo episode. (laughs) This is like something out of like an 80s movie. Seriously. Like this is like what happened to Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, it's insane. So these policemen were literally run off the road by this little old lady who had no fucking idea. She's just like going on the freeway. Yeah. Yeah. She. I just picture her like that scene in the movie where the little old lady, you, she can't even see above the steering wheel. Yeah. And she's, it's like the huge steering right. wheel. And she's she in like, some huge, like continental. It's like a big boat, like a <laughs> yeah, Buick or exactly, something. Yeah. And you just see her little like gray hair poking right, out. Right. That's what happened basically. So the Cadillac they were chasing got away. That after, That afternoon, Raymond Finch, who was the father of Bernard, was questioned by the police at his home. He told them that his son hadn't been himself lately and that he had been under pressure working long hours as a surgeon. 
Barbara's father, however, would rebut this statement, saying that Bernard was nothing more than a, quote, playboy who was always running around. I hope he gets the gas chamber. The Finch son, Raymond, was taken by his aunt, Bernard's sister, and the daughter, Patty, was taken by her father. See, Barbara Finch had been married to another man before she was married, so she had a a child from another marriage. The daughter. The daughter, Patty. Patty was from a different marriage. She had previously been married to a man named Lyle Doherty before Bernard. Now, Lyle ended up remarrying after him and Barbara split. He got married to the woman that Bernard had been married to. What the hell? Yes. What's is this like Three's Company or something? It's like a sitcom or something. This was a particularly uh, like scandalous detail that they the press loved to talk about was this wife swap. Yeah. They called it the wife swap and they're like, oh, this is like, yeah. what are these, you know, heathens doing swapping it's their like wives? It's like a reality show, but real? Yeah. Like when they, the wife swap show? Totally. <laughs> uh, they were, police and journalists alike were really interested in like asking about the wife swap and this was like an important detail to them. It's pretty odd. I mean, it yeah. is odd and let me tell you how this went down. Okay. In 1951, Bernard married a woman named Frances Simpson. He had known her since high school. Their next-door neighbors were the Dohertys. So Lyle and Barbara Jean Doherty and their daughter Patty live next door to Bernard Finch and his then-wife Frances. Bernard was also their family doctor. Okay. So Bernard also delivered... Barbara and Lyle's daughter Patty. <laughs> so he delivered his own. He's like, I already seen that pussy. <laughs> <laughs> I've already been up there. What's your problem? <laughs> Jesus, you freak! I've been up further than you have. Yes, yeah, I, I hit that cervix. <laughs> so when Bernard later married Barbara. And Lyle married Bernard's former wife, Frances. The whole town was talking about this. Yeah. I mean, this was the talk of the neighborhood. It's, imagine back... I mean, that's shocking now. Right. <laughs> that I would, I would be talking about that for days with you. There's nothing else going on. <laughs> we go on. So Dr. Finch was this also this very respected, well-known doctor. But this news of a wife swap sort of like colored people's ideas yeah. of him a little bit. Well, especially the fact that he's an OBG. <laughs> <laughs> I always go back to my cousin saying he wanted to be a pussy doctor when he grew up. Wait. What? A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. What? My cousin, he's like a teenager when I was like, you know, eight, yeah. you know, that age difference. And he used to be like, when I grew up, I want to be a pussy doctor. That's and I disgusting. had no idea. But then when I got older, I was like, I had zero trust for any guy. <laughs> what did you become an OBGYN because of my cousin? I'm sure there's very good ones. But part of me was like, every guy who's an OBGYN was like, I want to be a pussy doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and then remember that sketch where Mel Gibson was like, wasn't there like an SL, SNL yeah. sketch where he was like a, a gynecologist and every yeah. woman wanted to go to him? Yeah. I mean, that was before his scandal. Right. <laughs> and I was always just like, oh, see, <laughs> what's going on? I, anyway. did, I did one time have a very hot gyne- gynecologist and it was really, 
awkward. Yeah. Because I was like, I want to fuck this guy. Right. And he's practically there. <laughs> yeah. It's like you're doing all the things. I was doing all the things. It was just like I could never go back to him. Yeah. He was too attractive. Yeah. I was too distracted. Poor thing. I know. Okay. So prior to the murder, police had received multiple reports in the past of domestic disturbances in the Finch household. Mm. It was known that the Finch's marriage was not a happy one. On July 19th, 1959, at around 11.15 a.m., Las Vegas police located and arrested Bernard. He was staying at his girlfriend Carol Tregoff's apartment. Carol was a sexy 22-year-old redheaded woman who used to be a model, and she was working as a cocktail waitress at the Sands Hotel and Casino. Okay. Now... Carol had previously worked for Dr. Finch at his practice as a receptionist. That's mm-hmm. how they met. And they began hooking up. They got into a relationship with each other. Now, Carol wound up leaving L.A. and moved to Vegas, where Bernard and her would continue their long-distance relationship, and he would go out to visit her and stay with her there. Barbara Jean had filed for divorce three months prior to the murder. That afternoon, police questioned Carol Tregoff down at the station. She told a very different story than the housekeeper, Marie. Carol said that Bernard was with her on Friday the 17th in Las Vegas. On Saturday the 18th, the pair drove down to L.A. together in an attempt to confront Barbara Jean about their affair and to discuss getting a, like to discuss the terms of their divorce settlement. Right. Like, basically... Uh, Bernard would claim that, like, oh, I wanted to discuss in a like a very calm, rational manner with Barbara if we could settle this out of court and just have no courtroom drama with uh-huh. this divorce. It's very odd that they decided to go over there so late at night on on a Saturday night, yeah, and like didn't call beforehand. But that's so so, so Carol Tregov is relaying this, telling the story to the police. She says that she and Bernard waited for Barbara to, arri- to arrive home, and when they did, they said, we want to talk to you, and Barbara was like, well, fuck you, and I don't want to talk. And then at that point, Carol told the police officers that Barbara pulled a gun out of her purse and pointed it at them. As Bernard lunged for the gun, Carol said she panicked and ran away down the hill towards her car and hid in the bushes. She says she doesn't know what happened next, except that at some point, Bernard fled. Carol then said that she stayed hiding in the bushes for the next six hours. My advice is don't bring your new girlfriend to talk to your ex-wife. <laughs> like, that seems like a bad call to begin with, especially at almost midnight. Like, it is an I'm in- not saying I believe her, but the story is crazy. It, like, It is insane all around. Yeah, and to, why would you be in the bushes six hours? You're not like a four-year-old child who gets scared or it, something. Like, it is fucking crazy. Carol then told police that she drove back to Las Vegas and arrived at 9 a.m. to make it home in time for her 10 a.m. cocktail shift. (laughs) Imagine that waitress at at the Sands that day who's like going on an out, no sleep, who just arrived. I mean, they all kind of seem that way. (laughs) The 10 a.m. shift is actually the most broken shift, (laughs) right? Because everyone's still up from the night before. Yeah. Like, it's not like a cheerful good morning shift. It's like, it's worse than like the 2 a.m. shift, probably. Totally. Now, Carol told police that she and Bernard were planning on getting married. 
Mm. Meanwhile, no, not all. <laughs> Meanwhile, Bernard Finch had told detectives that he was in Las Vegas at the time of the shooting. So his story differed. Oh, yeah. From Carol's. Right. Police Chief Adam Sill described Bernard as good looking, likable, and very charming. Bernard was taken back to L.A. where he was charged with murder and held without bail. Carol Tregoff was also taken back to L.A. to make a second statement to the police. She begged to see Bernard, and she was allowed briefly, but they were like, no touching, no touching, right? And because they, they tried to touch. Oh. Now, Bernard hired famous defense attorney Grant B. Cooper. Cooper would later represent Sirhan Sirhan in the RFK murder trial. Oh. So this guy, very prominent defense attorney. Before his arraignment, Bernard was escorted by his lawyer back to the Finch home. Police, as well as Carol, also made the trip back to the crime scene. Back at the station, Bernard told police that, okay, he was at the house during the night of the murder, but the details were a little fuzzy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is the classic line. It's always fuzzy or hazy yeah. or foggy. Right. He says foggy a lot, too. That's yeah. going to come up again. The details are very foggy. Okay. So... Barbara's divorce lawyer spoke to the press. He claimed that Barbara had told him that Bernard had threatened multiple times to take her to the desert and kill her. Oh. He asserted that on June 25th, a month before the murder, Barbara had filed a restraining order on her husband and that she was afraid for her life. In an interview from jail, Bernard Finch broke down into tears and sobbed that he loved his wife. He was also very upset that they wouldn't let him attend the funeral which I think was a good choice. They didn't let him attend. I'm sure the dad of Barbara would be like, get that son of a bitch. Right. Uh, He was questioned about the contents of the bag that they found at the scene, and he said it's totally normal doctor stuff that was in the bag, the (laughs) brown attached. That's what he said. It was totally normal doctor stuff. The preliminary hearing began the morning of July 27th, 1959. At the hearing, the contents of this bag were presented. Now, inside, they found a half-empty box of thirty-eight caliber bullets. Normal doctor stuff. Very normal doctor stuff. Two pieces of rope, mm-hmm. also very normal doctor <laughs> stuff, apparently. A kitchen knife. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what doctor is this? <laughs> <An> doctor Kinky. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought. I'm like, oh, this is like kinky doctor play stuff. Yeah. Uh, an ace bandage roll. Okay. Well, that's the first real doctor thing, right? <laughs> but now it seems a little sinister. Well, in the context of the other stuff, it's like, oh, that's what you use to like tie up. Right. Like it seems normal if it had come out first. <laughs> but when it's the fourth, then it's like, wait a minute. A bottle of secanol, a vial of liquid secanol, rubber gloves, a syringe and needle, a flashlight, and a shaving kit. Oh. I mean, all of these things separately are not sinister, but all of them together are very sinister yeah. and very creepy. Right. At the scene, torn pieces of gloves, much like the ones found in Bernard's bags, were found just 26 feet away from the body of Barbara. Carol Tregoff testified that when her and Bernard arrived to the Finch home to confront Barbara about the settling of the divorce, they parked her car in the country club lot, which was just below the Finch home. So they didn't even park like in the driveway. The, this couple had a big house. They parked down the hill. Yeah. They're, That's, they're suspicious. <laughs> they're doing some shady shit. 
They parked down at the country club lot, which was just below the Finch home. She said that Bernard instructed her to bring a flashlight as they walked up to the house. Carol said she just brought his whole bag with her. She said, quote, I knew it contained things in it that he had bought for my apartment, such as a knife, and that there were sleeping tablets in it for me, she said. Carol said that her and Bernard played with the family dog, Frosty, as they waited for Barbara to get home. Carol testified that the rope found in the attache case was taken from the Finch garage while they were waiting for Barbara. She said that Bernard wanted it for his boat. She also testified, I mean, I also have to point out the lengths of rope were not long enough for like what you would think of for a boat. They were short lengths of rope. Right. Like they were like, look like rope for tying people up. Yeah. Probably. You probably need much longer. I'm just assuming. Yeah. That's just what I'm assuming. Now, she also testified that as they waited, they played with the rubber gloves and blew them up like balloons. And that's why there were fragments of... (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. That's such an insane lie. (laughs) Can you just imagine these adults? A doctor. Just blowing up balloons. That's like a kid finding a condom and be like, what's this? It's a balloon. (laughs) Like what? Um. She then recounted the same version of events that she had told detectives before, that Barbara had pointed the gun at her and that Bernard tried to wrestle it away. Bernard told her to get out of here and flung the attache case at her. Then then she said she ran down the driveway, she tripped onto a sprinkler on the way down, and that's when she hid in the bushes. Prosecutor Wichello questioned why she hid in the bushes. Like the, She asked her, he's like, the police were there, why right. were you afraid? Why were you there for six fucking hours? Mm-hmm. Carol said she was, a, was, was scared and uh, she didn't really have an answer for why she did it. She just said she was afraid. What, what do you do for <laughs> six hours in a bush? They don't even have cell phones back then. Right. Like that's such a long time. Like that's a really long time. It's a very long time to just hide in bushes in for, the no of the night. for no <laughs> like, good reason. For no Like if there's reason. a, if there's a killer, like a serial killer walking back and forth and I get it. Like, but there was no reason for her to be scared. She even knew the killer. <laughs> like, It's wild. Carol was then asked about what happened after. She said when she returned to Las Vegas, she found Bernard asleep in her apartment. She told him that the police were looking for him and that he was being accused of his wife's murder. Did he not know this? <laughs> I'm sorry. She was also asked if she had had sex with Bernard before the murder. They really wanted to know if they fucked before the murder. Like oh. they kept grilling her about this and the courtroom was on the edge of their seats. This was like a very scandalous moment. Old juries love this kind of detail. Like <laughs> the fucking notes about like the audience in the courtroom on this trial were hilarious. Yeah. Like they just were eating everything up. Carol did not want to answer this question. The papers, meanwhile, every report about Carol in the papers is how she's like this shapely, yeah. flame-haired woman, uh, former ex-model. And uh, I want to show you a picture of her just because I feel like it's it's Desi. It's Desi. <laughs> I like that nightgown. Actually. I know she's that's a cute nighty. Yeah, it's cute. Um, but yeah, and and she would come into court. She was very glamorous in court. So right. the, so the press had a field day with reporting on what she was wearing. Often they would say like she was wearing a very low cut dress with sun, cat eye sunglasses, Ooh. and so like she had style definitely. And and the press loved to talk about this woman. 
Now, when questioned by reporters, Carol's stepmom said, quote, my daughter is not a tramp. She's not. (laughs) After her testimony, she was arrested for aiding and abetting in the murder of Barbara Finch. Her hearing was set for a week later. Carol would hire none other than Jerry Geisler to defend her. Oh, Jerry Geisler. Yeah, we've talked about him before. He's a very famous defense attorney from those days. Marie, the housekeeper, testified the same version of events that she had initially told police, that Bernard had beat her head against a wall and threatened to kill her before shooting and killing his wife. There was evidence of this, like... Also, because inside the garage, there was this huge, like, head-shaped dent, like a crack in the plaster. Right. So she's like, yeah, because he beat my fucking head against that wall. Marie was actually introduced at the hearing to the producer of the Perry Mason show, L. Patrick Gray. She, oh. she was the producer of the Perry Mason show. She was in attendance because she was looking for ideas for the show. Mm-hmm. And Marie would later go on to work as a housekeeper for her oh, and her family. Now, Carol's hearing was packed with spectators wanting to get a look at her because they, they were horny for yeah. her. Like, people were horned for Carol. They were like, even what women... What is she, early 30s? She's 22. Oh. I mean, when I saw her picture, it's it's hard to tell because sometimes women from that those days look so much older. Yeah. Not just like that they look older, but their styles are more so like, do you know what I mean? No, like, I know what you mean. Yeah. Okay. She was so 22. Bernard is 30, early 30s. No, he's not. He was 42. Oh, oh, Barbara was. Barbara was 33. Got it. The doctor's in his 40s. And then and the Carol girlfriend, is 22. Carol is Got 22 it. years old. Damn. Everyone was like, I want to get a look at this hot Carol. Carol. In September, a 23-year-old man named Donald Sanford Williams told Las V... In September... A 23-year-old man named Donald Sanford Williams told Las Vegas police that Carol was a friend of his and that she had contacted him about hiring some hitmen to take out Barbara Jean Finch. The men in question were named Richie Keechy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> and and James Patrick. <laughs> Sorry, the next name's way better. And James Patrick Cody. First of all, I just want to need to make a note that James Patrick Cody, I'm pretty sure that's the name of a, a gay porn star. Oh, it sounds like it. I mean, it just sounds like that's like the name. Like, not to be confused with James Cody. <laughs> James Patrick Cody. That we couldn't both get in SAG. <laughs> James Patrick Cody is absolutely the name of a twink porn star. I mean, it sounds absolutely accurate. Okay. Well, these are two rough men that Carol is looking to get into contact with. If your name is Richie (laughs) Keechee, you got to get tough. Richie Keechee. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money, and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings with big cash back at hundreds of stores. Don't miss headliners like Canon, Fenty Beauty, and Dyson. I can't wait to shop for all of my summer fashion and beauty needs, and we'll definitely be checking out Ulta and Adidas. Rakuten really is the best way to shop. You can really save by stacking cash back on top of other deals. And during Big Give Week, the cash back is bigger than ever. It's the time to shop for everything you need for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Membership is free, and it's all happening May 6th to May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost on top of Big Give Week cashback rates, go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Rakuten is the shopping platform to save while shopping. Donald later told reporters that Carol may have just wanted to get some dirt on Barbara. He's like, look, I don't know. They're just investigating he's, her. He's kind of retracting what he had said to police. He right. tells the press at this point. I think she just actually wanted dirt. He then denied having ever said that Carol was seeking someone to murder Barbara and that the DA was distorting his statement. While James Patrick Cody was being sought by police for questioning, Richie Keechee was already in... (laughs) I can't get over his name. It's so stupid. (laughs) I'm sorry. Richie Keechee was already in in a Las Vegas jail after he was caught in bed with two sex workers. At this time, Carol was out on bail... And the assistant district attorney, Winchello, I'm sorry, Wichello, was looking to revoke her bail. Bernard Finch and Carol Tregoff's trial began December 8th, 1959. Both were being tried for first-degree murder. It was the, the jury selection took several weeks. 
It was a while before anyone actually got on the stand to testify. Opening statements began in January of 1960. Deputy District Attorney Wichello had 50 witnesses ready to testify for the prosecution. That is a lot of witnesses. Yeah. Wichello uh, asserted that the motives for Dr. Bernard Finch and Carol Tregoff would come down to the love triangle, the financial motives to secure the money left behind in Barbara's will, and, as well as just a general hatred for Barbara. Yeah. He would also explore the conspiracy to commit murder with the hitmen for hire plot. He said that he would establish a pattern of behavior with Dr. Finch, that prosecution witness Marie would testify to the abuse Barbara had endured at the hands of Dr. Finch throughout their marriage. The defense claimed that the murder of Barbara happened during a self-defense struggle. Dr. Gerald K. Ridge took the stand for the defense, and he said that the dent in the garage wall, which Marie had asserted had been made from Bernard knocking her into it, could, uh-huh. have, could have been made from the struggle to get the gun. Right. I think it looks like it's in the shape of a head, yeah. personally. A, a baby size. <laughs> it's a large dent. And that's actually how Barbara sustained her injuries. This is what that doctor said. He said that, well, that's how Barbara, because Barbara was found, it looked like she had been, like she had been beaten before. She got shot. She got shot. They're like, oh, she could have sustained her injuries by, you know, falling into the wall. Right. Anyway. Barbara's lawyer, Joseph Forno, testified for the prosecution that his client had predicted her own death. He testified a few weeks before her murder, Barbara told him that Bernard had beaten her with a pistol. Quote, she told me something would have to be done before Dr. Finch was going to kill her, he said. Quote, in fact, she described exactly how it was going to happen. Donald Williams testified that Carol had stayed with him at his grandparents' house and that she had inquired about any gangster friends that he might know. She asked if they were murderers or thieves. Donald said James Patrick Cody was a pretty rough guy. Donald testified that him and Carol met with James for dinner in Las Vegas. James testified that Carol gave him $1,400 to murder Barbara Finch. He said he was never going to do it. He just kind of wanted to con Carol. Right. In fact, he also testified that at one point he tried to talk Bernard Finch out of murdering his wife. James was described by the press as a smooth-talking ladies' man. The defense sought to discredit James Cody as a con man. They also asserted that while, yes, Bernard and Carol had met with him, they only wanted to hire him as a gigolo to seduce Barbara Finch to discredit her in the divorce case. Oh, interesting. Now... Two apartment managers from Monterey Park testified for the prosecution that Bernard and Carol had rented two different apartments together under the name Mr. and Mrs. George Evans in 1957 through June of 1959. The courtroom burst into laughter when one of the managers, a woman named Irma, said that Dr. Finch told her that they, quote, very much enjoyed the the apartment. Because this was known in the press as their love nest. Oh. So when she was like, oh, Dr. Finch said he loved their stay. And the audience was like, oh. She means sex. (laughs) They had sex. Dr. Finch himself even laughed at this statement. (laughs) He's having a good time. Everyone's just having a great time. Everyone's having a great time during this murder, murder trial. Irma said that Bernard and Carol only came by the apartment for a few hours, few hours at a time, but never stayed the night. They got a whole ass apartment just to fuck in. They they weren't they couldn't even be bothered to like just rent hotel rooms. Yeah. They rented a whole ass apartment. Marcel Goldfarb, 
who was the apartment manager of the other apartment that he rented to Bernard Finch, testify to seeing Bernard with Carol at the apartment several times a month. Finally, on February 4th, 1960, Dr. Bernard Finch took the stand in his own defense. He said that the gun that shot his wife, Barbara, had been kept by her in her car for over a month, and that when she brandished it and pointed it at Carol, it led to a struggle accidentally killing Barbara. He also admitted that, yes, he had attempted to hire a gigolo to follow Barbara around to try and take her on a date. When questioned about the gun, he said that he had told Barbara about a month before the murder that he was taking the gun to go on a boating trip and he needed it for protection from sharks. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Do people do that? He said that he fired the gun while on this boating trip, so I guess he shot a shark, I guess. Or Or he shot shot it in the the water to scare it? (laughs) I don't know. That's pretty insane. But that when he returned from the trip, he put the gun in a case under Barbara's car. Bernard laid out a very different story of his relationship with his wife. He said, yes, we had our problems and we had discussed divorce before, but he had never mistreated or beat her. He also claimed that at one point they had reached an agreement with their marriage and that they would just put up with this facade of normalcy even though they weren't sleeping together anymore. He said that this agreement was basically like he was allowed to sleep around with other women. They were Polly. <laughs> no, they were not Polly. Barbara was not sleeping. He was Polly. He she was, didn't know. She exactly. He was Polly. She didn't know about it. Yeah. But he's telling the he's telling the jury on the stand, like, oh yeah, well, we came to an agreement in 1956 that I was allowed to sleep with other people. Yeah, that didn't happen. That didn't. There's no fucking way that that happened. He started dating Carol in 1957, who was, by the way, married at the time. Oh. He was basically saying that his marriage to Barbara was effectively over so that the affair he was having wasn't even that bad. Yeah. He was the classic. Our marriage was effectively over. Yeah, effectively. That's always the line. Only a guy says effectively over. <laughs> I've never heard a woman say that. No. He claimed the reason he didn't tell Barbara about his affair with Carol when it started was because he wanted to protect Carol from her husband because Carol was cheating on her husband. Oh, yeah. Now, when questioned about the fatal shooting of his wife, Barbara, he testified that the gun just suddenly went off and his wife ran down the hillside before falling onto the ground, realizing she had been shot. He said that he crouched down beside her and said, what's happened, Barbara? Are you hurt? He said, Barbara said, quote, I should have listened to you. I'm sorry. Take care of the kids. What an asshole. (laughs) Like, that's what he says her last words were? Yes. Forgiveness. Sorry. (laughs) I don't believe it. Bernard said he told Barbara not to move and that he was going to take her to the hospital, but then she died. And then he went to Vegas. (laughs) (laughs) During cross-examination, Bernard Finch admitted to having two other affairs with women employed at his hospital. Ooh. Not surprising, right? Yeah. They were referred to as Mrs. X and Miss Y. One of the women he had an affair with was married at the time, Mrs. X. Okay. Bernard testified to having sex with Mrs. X in cars at Lover's Lanes. She didn't get the apartment. <laughs> she did not get the apartment. Her pussy was not as good as Carol's. No. She's a zirconia. She's a big zirconia pussy. Oh, that's a really sad kind of pussy. Uh I wonder, did Carol know about these other women? This this affair took place in 1953. Oh, so it was much earlier. Much earlier. So this 
he admitted this affair took place in 1953, but it also contradicted his previous statement that he had only had affairs with women after him and his wife. They had the agreement. Had their agreement right. in 1956. Get it straight. ADA Wichello said, how frequently were you guys fucking? Once a year or once a day? Bernard answered, it wasn't once a year and it wasn't once a day. And <laughs> What for, a specific choice. <laughs> for some reason, this made the audience burst into laughter. When he said it. Oh. Uh, and he said that they fucked probably between once a week and once a month. He didn't say fucked, but yeah, that's what he said. He then admitted to Mrs. X coming to San Francisco to visit him while he was attending a medical convention. The identities of these women were kept secret uh, to protect their identities, but the prosecution did have evidence of these affairs. As to why Dr. Finch fled the scene after Barbara was shot, he said he panicked. Along with the gun being missing from the scene, so were Barbara's purse and engagement ring. Dr. Finch denied that he was trying to stage a robbery gone wrong. He had no knowledge of the whereabouts of those items. When asked why he stole a neighbor's car and then another car in La Puente when he was fleeing the scene, he said he had no idea what he was doing until he was almost to Las Vegas. Hmm. He was also questioned about Barbara's will, which was set up the April before the murder, that it would leave monthly allowances to the children in a trust and the rest to Bernard. Bernard testified that Carol Tregoff had no knowledge of this will. When questioned about injuries Barbara had sustained on May 14th, which was alleged by Barbara, according to her divorce lawyer, to have been given from a beating, at the, like her husband had beat her at the time, Bernard said actually those injuries occurred when she had fallen out of the bed while sick with the flu. Okay. That sounds like the biggest fucking lie ever. Yeah. The jury was hopelessly deadlocked in both convicting Bernard Finch and Carol Tregoff, and a mistrial was declared. Now, these jury deliberations were an utter mess. Yeah. There was a lot of drama going on behind the scenes. They deliberated for several, like, for several days, I think. There were also reports of racism occurring between the jurors. The white jurors, for example, were really uh, hounding the black juror and the Latino juror to reach the same verdict. They reached a different verdict than the white jurors, and there was racism happening. Do we know what their verdicts were? It was not said in the paper what the verdicts were, but some quotes that I saw uh, from the book was that the the black and Latino juror were fi- found him guilty. Right. And they found him not guilty. And it was sort of like, well, if the this, whites found him not guilty. The whites found him not guilty. And the black guy was like, look, if this was a black guy, we would have convicted him already. Yeah. Um, so there was like a lot of tension happening behind the scenes. There was also an instance reported of a male juror threatening to throw a female juror out of the window wow. during an argument. It was a mess. Yeah. There was a lot of bad stuff happening. The second trial began in June of 1960. At that trial, Dr. Finch testified of his wife's frigidity as the reason their marriage failed. It was her fault that their marriage failed, not his extramarital affairs. Frigid. That's like the oldest, grossest diagnosis. It's so (laughs) disgusting. I mean, he hasn't even stopped for one second to think that maybe she didn't want to fuck you because your dick wasn't all that great. Yeah. I mean... A lot of times that's what makes women not want to fuck. Their yeah. sex is bad. The sex, he's probably not good at fucking. There's no way. There's no way. Um, Bernard and Carol were finally both convicted of murder in 1961 and sentenced to life in prison. 
Carol was released. Oh, did I say that that trial, the second trial, resulted in another mistrial? No. There were two trials. The first two trials resulted in mistrials. And then the third. And the third, they were convicted in 1961 of murder, sentenced to life in prison. Now, Carol was released in 1969 after serving eight years. She changed her name and moved out of state. Bernard was released in 1971, and he went on to practice medicine again. They were in prison for like 10 years, basically. Yeah. Yeah. First degree murder they were convicted of. I'm honestly shocked that he went on, he like got his let it, my medical license. I guess that was before the days of life without the possibility of parole was an option. I guess so. Yeah. But yeah, they got out pretty quick. Um, so he went to Missouri where he worked as a doctor until 1984. What the hell? Imagine if that was your doctor. And your uh, OBGYN who and killed your, a woman. <laughs> and your OBGYN. He died in 1995. Damn. Now this, like I said before, this was a very famous case while it was happening. It was all over the papers. People could not get enough of this. The the courtrooms were always packed with looky-loos. Mm-hmm. And so a woman that we talked about a few months ago, Dorothy Kilgalen, she wrote about this case herself. Oh. I thought she had a very funny quote about it. She said... It almost seems unbelievable that a man of Finch's background, education, and training could have been so utterly stupid. (laughs) And he thought that he was smart enough to get away with it. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. It's so bungled. It is sort of, in my mind, I'm like, are they just so stupid and they accidentally killed her because it's so bungled? Because it's like, it doesn't seem like anyone who's remotely has any brain could fuck it up so badly. It does seem like haphazard or not planned or something. It Do you know is, what I mean? Like, it is wild how even if they were telling the truth that this was a a rot like a, a altercation gone wrong, right? And that it was an accident. Even at that point, at best, this guy still comes out looking like a a crazy person, like an asshole, right. For leaving the scene and not staying with his wife. And also, then, I don't quite understand why they had to kill her. Did they just not want to share the money or have her take his money? Like, well, allegedly he was in the hole financially. Like he was so having they some have money a problems, money and a new wife or whatever. Yes, and he also wanted the money from the will. Yeah, or her which, and her, Yeah, which there were also charges that there were also charges made that like he had signed the will and it wasn't her that signed it. Like he had forged the signature. So all of the things that would make you the suspect. Yes. I mean, classic. It was like a a classic case of that. He had a life insurance policy taken out on her, but it was a couple years before. And Carol and him never hooked up again. No. I mean, which is the case of a lot of it. It's like once the crime's over and you guys are out of prison, it's not hot anymore. Right. They were like that movie damages. Did you see that movie? No. They have, um, it's with Jeremy Irons and he has an affair with Juliette Binoche who's married to his son and they basically oh. destroy like everyone's lives and families and then the relationship ends and they see each other at the airport at the end of the movie and there's like nothing between them. But it's like, you destroyed all of these lives for this passion love. But it's like, it was nothing. Like, right. You know what I mean? Like, and not, and it's almost like, None of that is really real when you're at that level of passion. It's not sustainable. No. It's and it's not. not really based in a reality. No. So it's like it's impossible for it to last. Yeah. This was this young girl who he was not supposed to be sleeping with because A, she was married, B, he was married. Right. Uh and then and- when all the reality came in, 
there was nothing between them. Really. No, yeah. they, and like they weren't really going to get married. They were yeah. not in love with each other. They were like in lust with each other, right? Possibly, uh, but yeah. As soon as like they got both got convicted, the passion like it was over. Yeah, it was totally over. Effectively over. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is really wild that even like whether or not what he said was true that it was an accident or whether or not it like he comes out looking like a fucking idiot. Right. No matter what. Because it doesn't make sense. None of it makes sense. And he got conned by this James Patrick Cody guy who just pocketed the what money. What an idiot. He didn't even do it. He didn't even do the murder. He was just like, all right, bye. I mean, he's they're just clueless. Yeah. And they got conned by these criminals who were like, knew they were idiots. So they, they wouldn't had, do anything to go after them. Right. And so they had to do the murder themselves and they fucked up royally. <sighs> How did so, this guy get a medical license? I mean, if you have the gun, I'm sorry. Wouldn't it just, why even have the fight? Just go shoot her while she's sleeping. Not that I'm, you know what I mean? Like, why do they have this whole, and why was she there? Why was Carol even there? Like, well, <clears throat> yeah. Why did he bring the girlfriend? I'm just saying that probably caused the fight. Right. Uh, or at least her being more aggressive um, towards You're him. saying if what he said is true about the altercation. Yes. Like, right. it doesn't make sense. Just go there quietly, speak to her, shoot her in the living room or whatever. Not that I'm condoning murder, but it seems like a very simple thing. You'd still be busted yeah. for sure because everyone would know the husband but is the even prime if, suspect. But even if what he claimed is true, that he just went there to discuss the terms of the divorce, why did he bring this woman with him? Right. I mentioned that earlier. That like, makes no that's, fucking there's sense. There's no reason. There's no way that's not causing a huge fight whatever story is true <laughs> whatever story i think he just fu- they fucking just killed her i think what the housekeeper said that's the truth i believe she's the only one who has no motive to lie right <clears throat> and so no one did anything with this story like a no. movie or yeah i uh, know there was i was looking like not even a fucking investigation discovery on this case huh, interesting i'm honestly stunned because it is like and like i said before like if you want more information about this there's a ton of information out there and with so much information about this case, that's another thing that's surprising that there isn't really a lot of media right. about it. Like there's not a lot Yeah, of- usually those stories are the ones where there's hardly anything to right. find. Or it's like a bare minimum that's been done a bunch or something. Yeah. So yeah, that's that uh, story of Dr. Bernard Finch. Cool. Interesting. And I'll post pictures. There's a ton there's a ton of pictures from the trial and Carol. Of Carol. <laughs> there's a lot of sexy pictures of Carol. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, Dr. Bernard Finch was not that cute. So, like, what the fuck? Yeah. No. Yeah. It's insane. Poor Barbara. I know. Barbara's the victim here. Right. I mean, what did she do? She, she just married an asshole. She married a fucking asshole who was abusive. And, and her doctor. <laughs> and her doctor. She married her doctor. Um, so they had a kid together. I mean, it's just fucked up. It's all fucked up. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, do you have anything to say? Before we end? No. That's it. All right. Bye. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.